It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the Westside Community News, and today the draft is done. We're, of course, breaking it all down today. Pacers make their picks. They stay at 6. They take Benedict Matherin. They stay at 31. They take Andrew Nembard. They make a trade up kind of in the second round. Then they trade out of the second round. They get another player who I had ranked 17th on my board in the 40s. In the 40s. Very crazy night for the Pacers, despite their lack of moves. And I think their lack of moves is what makes it a crazy night and sets up for a busy next week or so for this franchise. So we'll talk about the pick, obviously the big one, Ben Matherin, what he can bring to this team, how he fits in, what the second rounders could be, how they might squeeze in, and then of course, the ripple effects on the rest of the roster because free agency now starts in six days. But the story of the draft, the story of the Pacers, the franchise path forward. The Pacers pick at number six. They take Benedict Matherin from Arizona. He's a guard. He's a wing. Whatever you want to call him. The fact that he can be either is, of course, appealing for the Pacers. Measured at 6'6 at the Combine with a six foot nine wingspan. And did a whole podcast on Ben Matherin with Leif Thulin. I'll put it in the description, a link to it, of this episode. So that's very easy to get to if you want to hear a full in-depth breakdown of his game. But I thought Ben Matherin was the choice if the draft went the way it did. He was fifth on my board. Pacers obviously had him very high. And the way it shook out looked like it could have been, you know, if the Pacers were truly high on Ivy and were potentially interested in trading up for him, as had been suggested before the draft, Keegan Murray ends up going four. After a crazy start to the draft, too, Bancaro sneakily goes number one, to the surprise of many. Then Chet still goes two. Jabari Smith goes three. Keegan Murray goes four, and then the you know you got to start thinking if the Pacers truly won Ivy, they only have to move up one spot to get him. But the Pistons did take him. The top five went as expected, just in a different order, and so the Pacers 
had their choice again. Matherin, Dyson Daniels, Shaden Sharp, whoever they wanted. They went with Benedict Matherin. I thought he was the most talented of the remaining players on the board. So I think it's a good pick for the Pacers for that reason alone. And I asked Chad Buchanan on the podium during the draft because he came down and talked to some of us. We were in the Pacers practice facility for a lot of the draft. I said, Chad, you, know, you guys had the sixth pick here, and I know you're in the very early stages of a rebuild. How much did fit play into something like this versus just picking the best player available? And Chad said, no doubt in his mind, it was best player available. That was their strategy all the way through. That should have been their strategy all the way through. And they thought Benedict Matherin was the best player available. He goes by Benedict, by the way, not Ben. He told us that in the presser. So what does he bring to the Pacers? Why was he the guy they identified as the best available? Well, in the background, he's a great dude. He's well-traveled. Born in Canada. French was his first language, actually. Played basketball there until he was about 16. And then the NBA Academy, it's a new thing uh, in Mexico City, Mexico, where the NBA brings some of these overseas prospects for, to like a development program. Uh, if you're non-U.S. born, you're eligible to attend. And uh, Benedict Matherick, non-U.S. born. So he was able to be a part of that. For two years, Dyson Daniels did the NBA Academy uh, as well. Josh Giddy did the NBA Academy. And so he goes there for a few years. He heads up Arizona for two years. Gets a lot better from year one to two. I actually had someone, you know, I was sniffing around last year's draft before Benedict Mather went back to school and I was asking a few scouts, hey, you know, the Pacers probably need a wing and maybe a scoring wing. Who's out there that makes some sense for them? And two of them told me Benedict Mather, right? So I, he was on my radar last offseason before he went back to school. You know, he, he was on the radar of scouts and then he got a lot better. And that's what made him a solid best player available kind of pick. It's something Kevin Pritchard has talked about, about liking players, both as in free agency and in drafts, is guys who get better. That means they like basketball. That means they're coachable. That means they like to improve and work on their craft and get better. And Matherin certainly did that. And that's his background and pedigree that got him to this point, right? He played more. He played seven and a half minutes more per game from year one to two at Arizona. And yet, he his scoring average went from under 11 to almost 18 points a game. His rebounds went up. His assists doubled. His steals went up. His blocks went up. He got better everywhere. And he was creating his own shot more, right? He was taking more threes. He took over six threes a game. His last season at Arizona took over 13 shots a game. They asked him to do more with the ball. And that made him such a threat. So his efficiency went down, but his usage went way up. His turnover rate went down. He just got a lot better and became a guy who could do a lot of stuff. And that's what made him me so high on him is, one, Arizona runs a lot of NBA sets. So he was able to showcase what he can do in, in, in actions that will be more NBA viable. But two, he could... He could be a threat in a lot of ways. He's really athletic and, and speedy-ish with the ball. Not like the fastest dude in the draft with the ball, but pretty quick with the ball. But he also can shoot really well, right? Took over 300 three-point attempts for the Wildcats and, and hit 38.3% of them. That's fantastic. Uh, so he's got that threat of inside and outside scoring because... Uh, he can shoot it, and because he's so athletic. And the dunks were there, nearly 50, uh, over 50, I believe, his last season at Arizona, right? His finishing is good. He's just really, really talented player, and that's why he was the best guy available for the Pacers at the spot. That's why they viewed him as the best player available. I think even if he played the exact same position as Tyrese Halliburton, they still would have picked him. And so he was the best guy available. I think he was the right pick. The Pacers think he's the right pick. And Benedict Matherin is now a Pacer Whatever you want to call him, a two or a three, he will probably be in that mix with Chris Duarte and Tyrese Halberton for the backcourt, frontcourt spots, whatever you want to call it. 
uh, because I think he's a natural fit with that speed, with that shooting. He can play off the ball. He can play on the ball. He can be that disruptor. The, um, the Pacers need him to be on defense. I'm not sure necessarily that he's going to be like an amazing defender, but I think he's going to be a good defender, especially on the ball. That's a good fit. The Pacers desperately need good defending wings and, and size at that spot. And I think at 6'6", it's hard to say he'll be able to defend like fours or bulkier wings, but he can definitely defend some wings. And, and then Lord knows the Pacers need any help on that end of the floor. I think he'll be able to help in that way as well. So, I mean, it, he checks a ton of boxes for this basketball team. And I think the finishing, you know, 67% at the rim uh, and the shooting, you know, like I said, good beyond the arc guy uh, across both seasons, Arizona. I mean, he's just a very good player who will fit with what the Pacers want to do. And he was the best guy on the board. He was the right pick the way it shook out. You know, if they couldn't move up for Ivy at five, I didn't think Keegan Murray was worth turning up for myself. I thought they should either take the best player available or move back and get someone in a similar tier. And they thought he was the best player available. So it made sense to pick him at six, and they did. And now Ben Matherin is a pacer. I think he'll fit quite well with the way they play because he's so athletic, because he can be speedy. And this, Mark Schindler tweeted this, a friend of the pod. You know, the, the Pacers are setting up to be one of the most athletic versions of the Pacers that we've seen in a long time. And Ben Matherin is a big, big part of that. So I think that was the right pick from the Pacers. I don't know what was on the table trade-wise for up or down between four and whatever I have no idea so it's impossible for me to assess if they made the right call by doing or not doing a trade there but I think just in terms of ranking the players and who's the best guy available at the spot I think Ben Matherin was the best player left on the board and I think the Pacers did a good job in picking him at the spot not overthinking it picking the best guy and setting yourself up for the best possible future because this is not a draft where you're assessing your team now, and we need the best fit now. They want to know who's going to be the best player in whatever number of years. And if they think Matherin's that guy, as it seems like many scouts did, and it seems the Pacers obviously did or else they wouldn't have picked him, that's why they picked him. They think he can be the best player for the longest time, and I think he will fit well growing alongside uh, Chris Duarte and Tyrese Halliburton and the Pacers' core going forward. And Kevin Pritchard, even in the video where they pick him and he's on the phone, they're calling Ben Mather on the phone. They, they're talking about the team's core. Those are the three guys they brought up. Isaiah Jackson, Chris Duarte, and Tyrese Halbert. Now those three guys alongside Ben Mather and in the Pacers' young core with a pick at six. I thought it was a good pick from the Pacers. I think it's a good way to set their team up going forward. And I think the fact that he can play the two and the three, which is a similar thing to Chris Duarte, means their two, three spots are sort of set going forward, barring a trade with those two guys for could be seasons and seasons. They're both on rookie scale deals. It could be a long time coming of the Chris Duarte, Ben Matherin duo. So the Pacers did not make any trades in the first round. They did pick at 31. They made another pick in the second round. Let's talk about those guys in the mix. And one of them who I absolutely love was stunned that he fell to 48 and that the Pacers were able to get him in a move which was very savvy. Andrew Nembard and Kendall Brown, also Pacers. Let's talk about those moves. Before we do that, though, I want to talk to you guys about Arcade 1-Up. Boom shakalaka. I've got some big news. The one and only NBA Jam is back, and Arcade 1-Up, the leader in at-home retro arcade games, is not only bringing the best game ever back, but they've made it bigger than ever. With a Shaq Edition machine, people are obsessed with NBA Jam, and I'm thrilled to tell our listeners you can once again play hoops with NBA legends in this arcade classic jump clear across the court, set the ball on fire in one of the greatest sports games ever to feature real and digitized. It was one of the sport first sports games ever, excuse me, to feature real and digitized NBA licensed teams and players. No fouls, no free throws. 
No quarters required. You can compete against your friends and family through the new Wi-Fi leaderboards, making you more connected than ever. Pre-order now from arcade1up.com. That's arcade1up.com for an estimated early September ship date. They've got more classics, Golden Team, Mortal Kombat, and many others starting at just $3.99. Check it out. They're giving away an NBA Jam Shack edition to a Lockdown listener. Enter for a chance to win the game console for your man cave at arcade1up.com slash lockdown. That's arcade1up.com slash lockdown. You've got until July 8th to enter. Don't miss out. Enter today. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house, or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming, or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, man, whoever you feel like had the best draft night. For me in the non-Pacers division, and I don't even think the Pacers had the best draft night, Detroit had a great night. I love what the Pistons were able to do. I loved what the Spurs were able to do. Go check out Locked on Pistons with Kook Heel or Locked on Spurs with Jeff Garcia for the local angles on those teams and what they were able to do in this night. Let's talk about the Pacers' second round before... At the end of this show, we will talk about what the Pacers didn't do, the moves they didn't make, and the ripple effects that these picks have on the rest of the roster, mainly the guard positions. So the second round, Pacers had picks 31 and 58 when the draft started, the first and last picks in the second round. There was some buzz that the Pacers could try to use 31 to move up uh, into the first round again, like they did last year with uh, Aaron Holiday. And 58, I kind of said it when I was talking to Derek on the draft preview show yesterday. They don't have enough roster spots to need someone with the last pick of the draft. So let's run through what the Pacers did in the second round at 31. They picked a point guard from Gonzaga, Andrew Nembard, four-year college dude, Canadian. They picked two Canadians with their first two picks. O'Shea Brissett, I'm sure, loving the Canadian flair coming to the Pacers. Nembard, I would say his best skill is a passer. He's not necessarily the cooking-off-the-dribble kind of player. He's only a 12-points-a-game guy only. That's still good. Uh, as a senior, but he grew his three-point shot as his college career went along, right? Over 38% on over four attempts a game his last season with Gonzaga, and he really is a good passer, especially in tight spaces. I thought they did a pretty good job, actually, of showing that on the broadcast uh, during the draft, showing some of the, t- the tough passes he was able to make for the Bulldogs this past season. You know, And his mid-range game is pretty nice, too. He finished really well from baseline jumpers and, and elbow jumpers this season. Decent enough at the rim. So he's got kind of a varied way of finishing possessions and scoring the ball. But I would say what makes him such a quality point guard is his passing. You know, He's able to run NBA-level sets. Uh, and his defense. I think he's a pretty solid and stocky on-ball defender. Six-foot-five point guard. That size is really, really valuable for him and what he's able to do as a player. So that is where I think he shines and, and picking him at 31. Certainly fine value. There was some buzz he could go in the late first round. Uh, early second rounds where a lot of mocks had him going anyway. 
picking him there is just fine, especially if the Pacers identified that having another very large guard makes a lot of sense. He could be a guy that sneaks into the rotation at some point. We'll talk about where he fits in because certainly some questions at what the Pacers have at point guard now. They have a lot of point guards. So Nembard certainly fits in their team. They did work him out in this pre-draft cycle, and his skills are fascinating, right? As a six-foot-five guard, if he can be, if he's even just a shooter in the NBA, being a six-five point guard who can shoot the three, bang, you can be on a team, even if you kind of suck at everything else. So if the playmaking translates, or the defense translates, or the shooting translates, I think he's at least a multi-year pro, just because he's pretty tall for his size and can read the game pretty well. If multiple of those skills translate, he's probably a five to ten-year career guy, which in the second round is a good pick, but we'll have to see what skills are there. I need to dive into more of his tape because, admittedly, I did not watch too much of the guys that I didn't put in my top 20 to 25 or so, and he was not in my top 20 to 25. So I think he is a good pick. I think he fits well with the way the Pacers are trying to play and the skills they need. I'm not surprised they picked a point guard. A lot of people you know, astutely commented this on YouTube videos and on podcasts throughout this time, but, like, sure, they have a bunch of them now. They have Halliburton. They've got McConnell. They've got Brogdon now. But McConnell's an old vet. Brogdon clearly in a bunch of trade rumors, maybe not necessarily long for the Pacers. You know, Lance Stevenson's already a free agent. Why not get another young point guard on this team? Have your point guard rotation solidified because you'll need that player eventually. McConnell's going to age out at some point. Brogdon might get traded at some point. Who knows what Lance's future looks like. Now they have Nembard in the fold to, to be that bridge there, especially if they move on from some of the other guys who I just mentioned. So... The next pick after the Pacers picked Nembard at the time was thought to be the 58th pick, the last pick in the second round, but the Pacers sneak in smartly here. Minnesota had three picks between 45 and 50. I think it was 45, 48, and 50 to be exact there. And so they pick at 45, and the Pacers sneak in with an offer at 48 to try to get the Minnesota Timberwolves pick so that then they can pick someone else in the second round. And they did. They accomplished a trade. The Pacers' one trade, or excuse me, the Pacers' first trade of the night. They sent a 2026. The Pacers have now um, shared this. It's an official trade. The Pacers traded a 2026 second round pick and cash considerations to Minnesota for pick 48. Uh, First of all, speaking purely on value of that trade, that second round pick has gone through it. It's been moved quite a bit. Originally, it was part of a swap agreement with the Heat. Then it went to the Bucs in that big draft night trade between the Bucs and the Pacers last year that netted the Pacers pick 31. The Bucs then moved it around. The Spurs got involved in this pick swap business as well. So what that pick is now for the Pacers was the worst of the Spurs pick, the Heat pick, and the Pacers pick in 2026 would go to the Pacers. So that pick is can't even be near the top of that round. The odds that all three of those teams think that year are very low. So that pick was likely to, to not be that great anyway. So to trade that and cash for a guy that they clearly liked or else they wouldn't have traded up for makes sense to me from a value proposition. You know, Without knowing what that pick can be, you can't say if it's a win or loss trade for sure or anything like that. But I think given what the structure of that 2026 pick is, Since it's the only one the Pacers have, I'm just assuming that's it, unless I'm missing something here. To do that and cash for this pick seems like a good business trade. I mean, Minnesota can't physically roster three late second rounders. The Pacers had a little bit of room here. And so they get Kendall Brown at 48. Uh, I gas him up quite a bit here because I had him 17th on my board (laughs) heading into this draft. He had so many eye-popping plays for Baylor that I, that he made me stand out. He's one of those guys that I actually caught on early in this draft process after seeing him split a few double teams with his athleticism. So let's talk about my favorite Kendall Brown stat. He shot 
88.5% at the rim for Baylor this past season. 81.5%. He was 88 for 108 right at the basket. You know, not necessarily the best shooter at all. You know, only took 41 threes. But his finishing is off the charts. His athleticism is off the charts. He's got the, he dunks quite a bit. He has such a big burst to get to the basket. His defense is just fine, I would say, for a prospect. But the athleticism is what his calling card and sales pitch is to teams. 63% true shooting. Decent enough free throw rate. Good defensive uh, advance numbers. He was a prospect that I liked this whole time. I thought he was going to be a first-round guy. Tankathon, which apparently I didn't know this. Tankathon's mock draft is an aggregate mock draft, um, and so it kind of puts together a bunch of mocks and says, "Here's where about the range where he's going to go." Kendall Brown was 35th in that. So uh, even going on that, they got about a 10 pick, even a little more than that value by picking him at 48. So I think he can be something. I mean, there's a chance he's better than Nembard. And the big thing here. You know, if you consider Matherin a two-guard, whatever, I don't really care. He's a he's a wing guard. He can play both. But whatever, if you call him a, a, an off-ball guard and then you call Nembard a point guard, the Pacers' first two picks were guards, despite their needs being more a forward. So getting a quality forward, one that fits their team with the athleticism, one that could be a, a, a nice player, one that has nice jump-off-the-page advanced stats, certainly someone that stands out to me in this class, 6'8 and fast. You know, that, that that's a great gamble at 48, especially given the, the holes on the Pacers roster. So we'll have to see what ends up happening with both Nembard and Kendall Brown. I don't want to overlook either of those guys. Last year's 31st pick, Isaiah Todd, signed a four-year, $7 million contract with the Wizards. Uh, that is effectively, not exactly, but effectively a rookie-scale deal. Rookie-scale guys, first-round picks, get a four-year contract with two team options. Todd's was a four-year contract with one team option year on the back since you can't have more than one outside of rookie-scale deals. So Nembard, I'm guessing, will get a decent chunk of money guaranteed to him on his contract, maybe like three years, six million or something like that. Who knows? And then Brown, last year's 48th pick, this hurt in my research, was Sharif Cooper to the, to the Hawks. I loved him in that draft. He got a two-way contract from Atlanta. And 48 is right, right, right on the precipice of a guy you give like a one-year minimum to and a two-way contract. So we'll talk about the ripple effects on the roster in a second, but I think it's possible Kendall Brown goes either way, either on the two-way route for the Pacers or on the one-year uh, minimum route, maybe two years with the second year having uh, like a non-guarantee or team option or something. So that was the Pacers' second round. They ended up getting to 58 and not picking. They traded it to the Bucks. James Boyd of the Indy Star reports they sold the pick, like I said on the Worst Case Scenario podcast yesterday. If you're a fan, you should not be happy with that. There's no basketball value in selling a pick. You can trade pick 58 for a protected second in the future. That has more basketball value than this. Maybe Herb Simon wanted them to sell it. I don't know. That's what happened. That's what's been reported. Getting an extra second rounder makes it a little less uh, of something that should bother fans. But in general, I think fans for, of any team should hate when picks are sold. But the Pacers sold pick 58, did not pick with the last pick in the second round. They didn't have room on the roster for another rookie anyway. You know, it's not, I didn't think they were going to pick three times and they ended up picking three times. It wasn't the three picks they had, but I did not think they would end up picking three times. They currently have 14 guys on the roster after not trading anyone away. So they did trade four pick 48 and then traded away pick 58 to close out their night. So those are the only two trades the Pacers made. I have not said Malcolm Brogdon's name until just then on this podcast. I have not said my I did say Brogdon's name once tonight. I have not said Miles Turner's name until just now on this podcast. They did not get moved. Let's talk about maybe why. 
Let's talk about what these picks could mean for those guys in this roster and the ripple effects of what this could look like for free agency. Really quickly, though, before we do that, I want to talk to you guys about betonline.net, your number one source for all of your sports betting needs and sports information. You can find all the latest odds, sports developments, league reviews, news, including the Stanley Cup Finals, Major League Baseball, you name it. They've got it over at betonline.net, your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. And BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. They've got lines up for NHL, the Stanley Cup Finals, Game 5, Avalanche up 3-1 and favored by 2.5 at home to close it out tonight in Game Five, you can get those lines at betonline.net, the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. Head over to that website today or use your mobile device to sign up. Learn more about the trends in the action over at BetOnline is where the game starts. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, go check out Locked On Magic. Why do I suggest the Magic? At the 40th hour, they pick Paolo Bancaro first overall instead of the long-projected Jabari Smith. Bancaro was the best player in this draft to me. I think it's smart that the Magic did that, and they played it great. No one knew they were going to do that. Philip Rossman Reich will have it all for you on Locked On Magic. So the Pacers, those are the players they picked. I'll do more podcasts breaking down Matherin and Brown and Nembard going forward, Learn more, learning more about those guys and their fit with the Pacers. The other part of this, there was a lot of reports about potentially a Brogdon trade for a pick in the late lottery and a Miles Turner trade for a pick just outside the lottery and maybe some other vets get moved, and none of that happened. Absolutely no trades were made by the Pacers. Chad Buchanan talking after the draft to us during the draft really said that you know they didn't quite, they didn't want to do any trades that didn't make sense for them, you know? And so those offers just might not have been there, right? The, the things that the league can be so dynamic with this stuff. So first of all, trades sort of get over-reported. You know, a lot of talks happen and they get out there as teams discuss with various scenarios with various teams, but you never know what's going to happen on draft night. And that's what influences things more than anything. And so teams just, you know, nothing ever bites. There's always less trades than expected. There, you know, I think Keith Smith... Uh, of Spotrack had it. There was about 17, I think, trades this year, which is about as many as normal. And most of those are second-round trades as those get swapped around or cash gets moved around or whatever happens. That's about in line with normal. There was not a chaotic trade thing. The first pick that got moved around was 11, I believe, with the Knicks and the Thunder. So anyway, Brogdon did not get moved. In in this night, I still have had multiple people describe to me that they think Brogdon will be traded this year, this offseason. Turner, I have not heard it as brashly as been described in some media reports. I think there's a chance he's on the team next year. And this night, not picking a center at all suggests maybe the Pacers do still have Turner in their plans. 
The Pacers did pick an off-ball guard and a point guard. The two roles Malcolm Brogdon typically plays. And they did not trade away Brogdon. So let's talk about this for a second. One thing happened that I think is critical here. Two things happened that I think are critical here, really. One is, in the days leading up to this, there's been a ton of, of reporting about the Brooklyn Nets and what their shakeup could look like. If Kyrie Irving decides to opt out and switch teams, or if that happens, maybe Kevin Durant's available. Maybe neither of those things actually happen. But that smoke has has started to come out from, from various NBA insiders. And if that stuff's happening this offseason, nothing else will happen until that happens. right? Until Kyrie Irving switches teams, everything will move slowly. If Kevin Durant's going to be traded, everything will wait until that happens. Because lots of teams do not want to lock up their cap space and miss out on a chance at Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving if those guys were to become available. So they'll wait to make their moves until those guys are gone. So the developments out of Brooklyn, I think, sort of halted or altered the trade market. That's one thing that I think slowed a lot of decisions in the whole NBA. John Collins didn't get traded. You know, His name was hot on the market. OG Ananobi didn't get traded. Same thing. His name was hot on the market. You get the gist of what I'm saying. That's one thing that I think is key to any deal for any team, but Brogdon specifically, I want to mention it. Two, another thing that happened is the Knicks, a, a very commonly connected Brogdon team, had a a strange. I don't know what to call their draft night. I don't. You know they've been they've been getting kind of killed. Uh, they they did not pick at eleven. They traded it to OKC. They got future picks for it, which I think is smart. I think the next year's draft is better than this year's. But they're protected firsts, and they also gave up a first to get off of Kemba Walker's contract, I think, and got some seconds in the process. But none none of the valuations they did made a ton of sense to me. But they did shed salary, which is key here. Uh, the reporting is they're going to make a run at Jalen Brunson. If Jalen Brunson re-signs with the Mavs, suddenly the Knicks could be a team that just traded for three first-round picks and have the space to absorb Brogdon without trading back as much matching salary. That is still a very natural trade partnering fit. So one thing is I still think teams will be interested in Brogdon. I still think matching salary is going to be a part of this. I just think that if the if the offers weren't there on draft night, you know, the, the reason you make a trade on draft night is the offer is the best on draft night, right? Teams don't have their free agency plans lined up. They have space now. They can make these trades now. If the offers you're getting as the Pacers aren't better than they will be in two weeks or they're the same as they're going to be in two weeks, why do it now? You have no incentive to jump on over something. And the flip side is, you know, if the offers you get now as the Pacers are about what you think you'll get in two weeks, what also could happen is, I mean, I just described it for the Knicks. Maybe they don't get Jalen Brunson and they need to use their space for something or use their assets for something. They're just one team of many, right? Maybe a different team strikes out in free agency and doesn't get the point guard that they want or the big good player that they want. You know, whatever teams those are, the teams that have bad free agency periods, all of a sudden they're going to go, crap, we have to do something to get better. They'll be the teams that, that will likely pursue Brogdon. And so... If they are still pursuing Brogdon, I think his value will be about the same on draft night as it will be in the early stages of free agency once a team realizes they strike out. So why didn't Brogdon get traded on draft night? I thought I thought if you had asked me before the draft, I probably would have said over 50% chance I think he gets traded. And he didn't. So I think the market was a little lighter uh, than was perceived. And I think that the Pacers ultimately identified that they can get just as much value for him at a later date. But I still think he gets traded off of the Indiana Pacers this offseason. I think it will just depend on 
what other stuff gets moved and how the free agency market develops, which only starts in six days. Miles Turner did not get moved either, uh, unlike Brogdon, where Nembard and Matherin got picked at his position. No centers were picked by the Pacers. Still makes sense to me they would keep Turner to some extent. Uh, maybe they deal him again late in uh, late in the free agent later in the free agency period or in a, in a week or something. Uh, the Hornets picked the center. <laughs> they picked Mark Williams. So perhaps that that dreamy destination is is evaporating. We'll see what happens with that market. We'll see where Miles Turner ends up. I still think there's a chance he stays with the Pacers though. That's still you know I have not gotten the sense that as as strong as. Some of the reporting has said about what Turner's future could look like with the Indiana Pacers. So those two guys didn't get traded, despite a lot of talk that they might before the draft. Some other guys, though, I think uh, I want to talk about in terms of ripple effects of this draft. O'Shea Brissett, obviously, uh, will be happy that two other Canadians are in the team. Also, he could be due for quite a big role for the Pacers this coming season. They just drafted three guys, so the Pacers now have 14 guys under contract right now. Out of 17, including two ways, right? They, 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 maybe they can. They, in theory, could have cap space. But that 14 number does not include Lance Stevenson, does not include TJ Warren, does not include Ricky Rubio, uh, does not include Jalen Smith. Like, if they re-sign nobody, in theory, they could have space to add someone impactful. But, I mean, the Pacers roster is close to, close to set. And they didn't draft a four. Then maybe they sign one. But O'Shea Bursette's probably a big winner from draft night. He's likely due for at least a pretty solid role this coming season. I think that makes sense. But they still have to settle his team option and his free agency. Miles Turner, again, a, a decent winner. But the two guys, two guys, three guys really stand out to me on the Pacers roster that, that need to look at this night and kind of reflect. One's Brogdon, obviously. You know, there's a lot of guards. If they want to play Nembard, and you pick a guy 31 because you think he can be a rotation player. You know, I think Brogdon is just as likely, if not more so, to get moved after they picked, you know, two guards, whatever you want to call Matherin, a wing guard. I'll probably call him a wing going forward. With, two, with their first two picks, the Pacers picked a wing and a guard. You know, that, that probably puts some pressure on a Brogdon deal. But if you are TJ McConnell or Buddy Heald, I do not think they had the best time <laughs> with this draft. Or Dwayne Washington. And I think that Dwayne is young and, and should like – it has a good chance to be on the Pacers next year. But they have a lot, a lot of guards now. They have a ton of guards on this team next season. Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, Chris Duarte – Ben Matherin, Dwayne Washington, TJ McConnell, Malcolm Brogdon, Buddy Heald. There's a lot of guards on the Pacers next year. And they're not going to trade guys they just drafted. So it seems like McConnell, Heald, Brogdon, and Dwayne Washington are the four guys on kind of the outside of that. Uh, that you know sort of ripple effect. So I'll be curious how they end up. You know, Dwayne Washington, non-guaranteed contract. Malcolm Brogdon, obviously, in trade rumors. Uh, T.J. McConnell's a fine player, but they have Nembard in the fold now. Buddy Heald's a, you know, a fine player, but they have Ben Matherin and Chris Duarte. And, and you know, they, there's just a lot of moving parts that make me think one or two guard trades are coming as a result of what happened on this draft night. So there are some ripple effects on the team, but because the roster's so close to full, I don't think the Pacers will be massive spenders in free agency unless they make those trades right away, which is usually pretty hard because they require teams to trade with. Teams don't like to trade until they're done with free agency. There's going to be a lot of moving parts. I think it's possible the Pacers make a trade before free agency officially kicks off, and I think they'll be more of a trade team than a free agency team, given how the draft went and given how their roster is set up. So draft night's over. No more speculation. The Pacers now owners of Kendall Brown, Andrew Nembard, and Ben Matherin. I don't know why I said their names in reverse order. I'm going to do a bonus podcast this week. It's Friday. You're getting a Saturday podcast. I'm talking Ben Matherin and his fit 
with the Pacers. He's there, one of their guys now. He could be their franchise guy, whatever you think of Halliburton, whatever. He's their guy now. He deserves a ton of coverage, and I'm going to give it to him. Let's talk about Ben Matherin's fit with the Pacers tomorrow, and then Monday, jump in with a little more draft talk and pivot into free agency, because can you believe it? Free agency starts next Thursday slash Friday, and we'll, of course, break it all down here on Locked On Pacers. So let me know if you want to hear more specific stuff about this draft that you feel like I didn't cover or missed on this show. I apologize for rushing out for this exit, but it's 2.30 in the morning, and I have to go to bed and go to my actual job that is not covering the Pacers tomorrow, as well as their press conference. So I need to get some work done tonight. Um, But thank you guys a ton for listening in the lead-up to the draft and this show. I've had a ton of fun covering the most important Pacers draft of my entire life, and many of you listening, I'm sure, his entire life as well. Um, So thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I love spending every day with listeners who like to hear about the Indiana Pacers and this basketball team. So on that note, thank you a ton for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the draft, or at least were able to have some fun. You can follow me on Twitter at TEastNBA or yell at me on Twitter at TEastNBA. And this podcast at Locked on Pacers. Everybody have a great day, and we will, on a weekend, see you tomorrow. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 